Hello, and welcome to Chad's ADHD 365 podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Takeda, better health, brighter future. Hello, and welcome to ADHD 365. My name is Trish White. I'm the director of training at Chad, and I will be your host today. Today, we will talk about strategies for adults with ADHD between the ages of 35 and 54, who are part of the sandwich generation. Many people in this age group care for both children and aging parents who may also have ADHD and other related issues. Neglecting self-care takes a toll on caregivers' relationships and their physical and mental health. I am pleased to welcome our expert, Dr. Stephanie Sarkis, who will share her expertise about how individuals with ADHD can ask for support, identify stressors, create and enforce boundaries, and set up healthy ways to deal with stress. Welcome, Dr. Sarkis. I'm so pleased to speak with you today about this important topic. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, Trish. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm Dr. Stephanie Sarkis. I've been in private practice for over 20 years as a licensed mental health counselor. I also am the author of eight books, including 10 Simple Solutions to Adult ADHD and also Gaslighting and Healing from Toxic Relationships. And I'm based in Tampa Bay. I would like to start with asking you, how is being in the sandwich generation different for people with ADHD? I think first, the sandwich generation concept isn't a new one, that there's always a generation that is between caretaking and raising children. And right now that seems to be Gen X, which is from 1964 to around 79. And then we have earlier millennials as well. And that's from, depending on who you ask, it's from about 1980 until about, I believe it's 95. So there's always been someone with a sandwich generation. And I think the way the ADHD impacts it is that when you are in the role of caretaking for an older generation and a younger, so let's say you're taking care of your kids and you're taking care of an older parent, that really taxes our ability to care for ourselves and also how well we use our executive functions because executive functions in the frontal lobe of the brain, they do things like regulate emotions, planning, forethought, all the things that go into being a caretaker. So when we don't have proper treatment for ADHD, being a caretaker can result in a much higher rate of stress and anxiety and depression than it is for someone without ADHD that's caretaking for two generations. Are there any specific tasks or responsibilities that are more difficult for caregivers who have ADHD? I think just the amount of time that is in place. I think that's the overarching theme is that when you are caretaking for so long, it can really result in you not taking as good a care of yourself. And I think with ADHD, we are prone to not paying as much attention to how we're doing. I think part of that stems from being told when we're younger that we need to step up and have our brains work, quote unquote, correctly. And so we tend to push ourselves harder because we've been told we should be able to do this. There's a really good book called The 25-Hour Day that talks about just caregiver fatigue. And that's where, again, you're taking care of someone, but taking care of yourself almost becomes an impossibility. 
So I think that's a very real thing for everyone that's a caretaker, but especially with ADHD because of the fact that sometimes we have to work harder than other people to get the same amount of work done. And also trying to cope with different people's feelings and needs can be difficult when we are having a hard enough time trying to figure out what our needs are. What are the physical and mental effects of juggling the demands of working, maintaining a marriage or partner relationships, and caring for children and aging parents, especially for an adult with ADHD? Well, first, I think, again, there's the time issue. There's just not enough time to do all that and take care of yourself. So sometimes we have to pick and choose. And and I think especially with ADHD, because of maybe guilt and shame that we have internalized, we tend to put ourselves last. And it's really important that we put ourselves first, that it's like the analogy on the airplane, you know, put your mask on before your kid's mask. So you have to take the best care of yourself in order to take care of other people. If you aren't taking good care of yourself, then you can't take care of anyone. It's a necessity to practice self-care. It's not a luxury, it's a necessity. So proactive self-care is best, which is where you take time every day to take care of yourself. You take time to have fun. You take time to do something that has meaning in your life. You make sure you get enough sleep. And again, that can be tricky, but sometimes there need to be some really firm boundaries set with other people when you are and aren't going to be available. And again, I think we tend to be prone to guilt and shame. So it's keeping that in check and just reminding yourself that you're human and you can only do so much and you're allowed to make mistakes. And you have the right to say no. And we have the right to do less than what's humanly possible. So first, we need to be easier on ourselves and know that you are in a difficult situation and you are going to drop the ball sometimes and that's okay. I think it's also important to make sure that you're getting good treatment for ADHD, which includes medication and also therapy. Cognitive behavioral therapy has been found to be quite effective in treating ADHD. So getting effective treatment where you're having your executive functions that are helped by treatments such as stimulant medication, which has been found to be the most effective form of treatment for ADHD, that can help everything else fall into place a little bit easier. But you are in a difficult position. So I think we have to really look at self-criticism. And instead of using that critical voice of why can't we be everything to everyone, we can use a loving voice, which is, you know, we're doing the best we can. And we're just kind of making this up as we go. And that's okay. Because again, we're human. It's also knowing when to reach out for help, that you may need to delegate tasks or have someone come in and help you. Because again, we can't be all things to all people. Can you give some examples of typical stressors and offer some ways that people can learn to identify when they're starting to be plagued or overwhelmed by these stressors? Well, burnout is very common. Burnout is where you feel like you're no longer making a difference. You have a hard time getting out of bed in the morning. You feel like whatever you're doing, there's no point to it. And you feel like you're stuck in a rut. You can even have feelings of of suicidality. And that can be a common occurrence when you are overloaded and you are not able to take time for yourself. One of the things that we really need to do is say no. And I think, again, as, as people with ADHD, we tend to be a little bit people pleasers. And we also feel like if we're not available for someone, then we failed. We tend to do a lot of all or nothing thinking. And it's really important to note, again, that you cannot be all things to all people. So there are going to be times where you are not able to bake cookies for your kid to bring to school. 
There are going to be times that you're not able to go to your parents' room when they ask. You're going to have to hold off on that. And when you say no, it can do a couple of things. One is at first you can feel guilt and shame about saying no, especially if you've been told that your worth is based on saying yes to people. So when you start saying no, you may notice that people treat you differently. Now, sometimes people will start respecting your time more. Other people may start getting upset with you. And keep in mind that just because we set a boundary and someone doesn't respond to it the way we want them to, doesn't mean we didn't have a right to set the boundary. That tells you a lot about somebody that when you set a boundary and they don't respond with, thank you so much for letting me know that. A healthy person appreciates you setting boundaries because they know where the limits are. It's having to say no to things that don't serve you and don't serve your best interests. You have to put yourself first. And again, I think with ADHD, we tend to put everyone else first. We need to pay attention to what physical symptoms we're getting when we are being pushed past our limits. We can have increased irritable bowel syndrome. We can have symptoms. We can have increased migraines, increased headaches. So it's really important to note when you are feeling like you are being pushed. With ADHD, we tend to have an issue with doing self-monitoring. And so I would recommend you do a, a body scan. And what that means is you start from your head to your feet, you check in with every body part and you say, how am I feeling? How's my head feeling? And checking in with that. How are my arms feeling? How are my hands feeling? And so on. You do a full body scan and check with yourself and see how... How am I feeling? Am I connecting with people or do I feel like I'm one step outside something? Because when you're feeling one step outside, that can be a sign of possible burnout. It's really important that you seek the help of a mental health professional because you are, as a caretaker of two generations, put into a place of high demand and high pressure. So it's also important that the people in your household that have ADHD, that they're also getting treatment for ADHD as well. That includes your children. So if your children have ADHD, it's really important that they get adequate treatment too. Because when you have an untreated person with ADHD, that can compound the stress that's placed on you as a caretaker. And so also it might be that if you have a parent that is is that you've had a history of them being abusive towards you and you're now in the role of a caretaker, it might be that that you have to rethink whether being a caretaker is appropriate in this instance. It might be causing you to re-experience some trauma you had in your childhood. So that's something to look at too. Are you caretaking for someone that has not taken responsibility for abusive behavior in the past? People with ADHD do have a higher rate of experiencing abuse. So I think that's something to look at as well. But really do a check-in with yourself and make sure you take a day off. Have a scheduled day where you don't do caretaking. And also, again, you look at the demands are being placed on you. And some of those are not realistic demands. And it's okay to say no. It's really important to be able to put place those boundaries and say no. But what about if someone were to delegate? Often people who have ADHD have a hard time delegating. Are there ways that they can overcome those feelings and find ways to ask for help and delegate some of those tasks? First, I think it's important to acknowledge that we can't do everything on our own. And we may have been told that when we were younger, that we should be able to do everything on our own because we have ADHD and the erroneous thought was if we just tried harder, we'd be fine. We know that that's false, that we try very hard. In fact, we tend to have to work five times as hard to get half the amount of work done. So it's important to look at what parts of you 
are being kind of eaten up by the tasks you have to do. Do you have time to pursue the things you want to pursue? Do you have time to just take care of yourself? And if you delegate, the task may not be done in the same exact way that you would do it, but it's a task you don't have to do. And that frees you up to spend more time doing the things you want to do. And also when you delegate, you tend to have less resentment against the people you're caretaking for. If you are getting burned out, one thing that shows up is feeling resentment towards people. And that can mean that you're more irritable with them, you're snappier, you may strain those relationships. We also need to look at delegation as what are some things that maybe the kids can do around the house. So it's important with ADHD with kids that Barclay's research says that kids with ADHD developmentally are two-thirds of chronological age. So you may have an eight-year-old that acts like a really good six-year-old. So it's important to look at chores that are appropriate for their developmental age rather than chronological age. So you may find that kids are able to do more helping around the house. And the way that can be framed is we're a team and families work in a team and this is how we're going to help each other out. And again, we want to look at developmental age of the chore, not necessarily the chronological age. And there are many great chore lists available. I think Chad's got one. There's ones on other websites. So see if other people in the household are kind of pulling their weight. It may be that you need them to do things. Again, look at kids' developmental level when looking at chores. So that's something that you can do. If your finances allow it, see if you can hire somebody to come in as just an assistant. And also look and see how insurance, if you're caretaking for a parent, see how their insurance may possibly cover somebody that comes in and helps. So there are different ways to delegate. And I think also, again, I, I keep going back to mental health professional, but a lot of times they know different resources you have. Part of what we do as mental health professionals is help you come up with solutions. And so this is going to be a team effort that everybody needs to pitch in. And you may need outside resources. And asking for help is a strength, not a weakness. Because again, no one can do this all on their own. It's okay to ask for help. And it actually is a sign that you know what your limits are. And that's a good thing. It's a, it's a good thing to know when you can no longer do things on your own. So in some cases, maybe a person has asked for help from individuals within their family. However, maybe they didn't follow through and then the burden goes back on the person asking for help to remind others to help out and contribute. Are there any tips or strategies that you can suggest to deal with that sort of situation so that you can overcome that challenge? Well, there's family therapy. Also making sure that everyone gets adequate treatment for ADHD or any other medical issues they might have. Having a family meeting every week helps where everybody sits down, you go over what's coming up for the, the next week and letting people know what you need. And you can go around the table and ask, what does everyone need in the family? And you can emphasize, this is why it's important because I'm taking care of grandpa. So therefore you need to set the table. This is how we work as a team. And it might be that you have a kiddo that needs to be incentivized. So that means you give them rewards. And I find that when you ask a kid what their reward should be for something, they're usually right on target. It's appropriate. So you can talk about what kind of rewards they should get. And you should also emphasize that you know, part of being in a family means that you just do stuff to help. You don't necessarily get paid. But in the case of ADHD kids, sometimes the incentive really helps. Barclay's got a great program for using positive reinforcement incentives. So it might be that kids earn rewards by doing different things around the house. You may need to put a chore chart up 
if the kids are younger to remind yourself of chores. It may be good for everybody to have a chore chart, even adults. So it really needs to be emphasized that this is a team effort. And again, I think family therapy can be good at, you know, sometimes kids are feeling displaced because there's maybe a parent living in the home that it may be something new. And that child may be going through some feelings of not having as much attention as they did before. And I think that's an important thing to look at because sometimes kids get resentful, just like adults. And it's important to talk about how someone's feeling without judgment. And it's appropriate to support without fixing. So which means when you talk to a child, you can say, tell me how you're feeling about about all this. Because I noticed I asked you to to unload the dishwasher and it didn't get done. I'm wondering, what are you going through something right now? And just opening up that dialogue and letting them know that it's okay to talk about something. It's okay to say you're upset. It's okay to say you're worried about your grandparents' health. That can mean that later on down the road, you can have even bigger conversations about what's going on at home. But again, I think family therapy can really kick that off to a good start. And again, you have the right to delegate things. And it should just be assumed that your family works as a team. And again, getting appropriate treatment for ADHD can be a large part of that. Because if your meds are wearing off or you're not on the right meds, it can be really difficult to follow through on multi-step directions. So we need to make sure we only give one direction at a time. And that can be even difficult with medicine. But it's looking at what can I do to change things up and asking someone what would need to happen for you to unload the dishwasher when I ask. And also, once you get on a routine, like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you're supposed to unload the dishwasher. And we need to thank kids and say, thank you so much for doing that because that really helps as far as incentives. Once you get into routine, it's much easier for kids to remember that. And and they're allowed to make mistakes too. Earlier, you mentioned relationships and toxic parents, the guilt and the shame that's associated with that in those cases. How can an individual who struggles with that sort of situation establish boundaries when they may just not want to take care of a toxic parent. Do you have any advice for people in that situation? First, I say that you are under no obligation to take care of a parent, especially one that has been abusive to you and is currently being abusive to you. So that could include a parent that was abusive in the past and they have not owned up to their behavior or someone that continues to be abusive. And abuse can be physical, it can be emotional abuse, it can be verbal abuse. So we need to look at, it's not just physical abuse. It could be the yelling and the constant criticism. You are not obligated to care for that parent. And that's where guilt and shame comes in is because we may have been told, especially by culture sometimes, that we are obligated to take care of our parents. You're not. And I free you of that. So then it's time to look at what alternatives are available because you should never tolerate someone abusing you. And it may be that, let's say the parent lives in their own house and you're contacting them, you're calling to check in and the parent starts berating you, you just calmly say, I cannot talk to you like this and you hang up the phone. And it may be that you need to go no contact or low contact. Low contact means that you limit your phone calls, you call a certain time every week and you limit it to 5, 10, 15 minutes, whatever's appropriate for you. And if there's any inappropriate behavior, you disconnect the call. 
Sometimes you have to get really tough with your boundaries because you have someone that is purposely trying to dismantle those boundaries. The more boundaries you put up, the more they work at breaking them down. And again, you're not obligated to care for someone that's abusing you. And how would you respond to perhaps other people in your life that you're seeing that they're observing you put these boundaries in place? And like you said, there's this cultural expectation that you're going to take care of your parent. And then they start to guilt or shame you and make you feel guilty about putting those boundaries in place. Do you have any suggestions for people on how to handle that sort of scenario? Sure. Like I said, just because someone doesn't respond to our boundaries favorably doesn't mean we didn't have a right to set those boundaries. Setting a boundary being treated fairly and kindly and with respect is not a controversial boundary. That's an easy boundary. So if you have someone that is telling you, honor thy mother and father, blood's thicker than water, look at the fact that they're, why aren't they more concerned with how your parents treating you? Yes, when you're sick, you can have a short temper, but there are behaviors that are acceptable and behaviors that aren't. If someone is having a short temper because of an illness, then that's something that needs to be discussed with their treatment team because that person also isn't feeling good. So that's something that can hinder their well-being. But it's important to set boundaries with the people that tell you that you're doing it wrong. And you can just say, you know what? That's I appreciate your concern. That's all you have to do. Just say, I appreciate your concern. You do not owe anybody else an explanation. If you decide that your parent is better off being cared for in a skilled nursing facility or assisted living facility, that's your business. So if you have an extended family member say, how could you do that? You could say, thanks for your concern. Because that person's not stepping up to take care of your parent. I almost guarantee you. (laughs) So that's an option. They could have taken over. And you could say, you know, if you'd like to take over caregiving duties, let me know. And usually that person will not do that. So it's really setting clear boundaries of how you're going to let people talk to you. And it could be that you just established that this is what I call a no-fly zone, that if the person brings up something about, you know, how that you're not taking care of your parent, you go, yeah, we're not talking about that. And it may be that the person continues to bring it up that you walk away. That's excellent advice. Thank you. When people realize they have neglected their physical and mental health, how can they go about remedying their self-neglect? Where can they start? I think a really good place to start is think of a scale from one to 10. One is you're feeling the worst you've ever felt emotionally. 10 is you feel great. Ask yourself every day where you are on that scale. Are you a three? Are you a five? An eight? What's one thing you can do to go up one number on that scale? Make a list of the things you can do immediately, which I call a psychological first aid list, What are the things you could do immediately to soothe yourself? That could be taking a walk. It could be petting your dog or cat. It could be playing with your kids. It could be calling an emotionally healthy friend. It could be watching a silly movie. And keep that list with you. Take a picture of it with your phone and favorite it so you can look at it when you're not feeling good. So again, ask yourself, where am I on a scale of 1 to 10? 1 being the pits, 10 being great. What's one thing I can do to go up one number on that scale? That's the first step. And again, making that list of quick ways that you can bring your anxiety level down a little bit. Again, go up one number on that scale, just one. And once you start doing that, it becomes a habit. You start becoming more aware of when you're getting triggered into a higher level of stress. 
we're always going to have stress. Stress is just change. So we can have good stress, like a baby being born. You can have bad stress, like losing your job. What's most important is having healthy coping strategies. So you also want to look at what ways have you been coping that might not be healthy. We know that people with ADHD have a six times higher rate of substance abuse issues. So take a look at whether you might be using substances more than usual to try to cope with how you're feeling. Are you getting more irritable with people around you? Are you having a hard time sleeping? Are you oversleeping? Are you undereating? Are you overeating? Look at the ways that you may be trying to cope with things that don't serve you. And again, you know, I bring up the mental health counseling piece is that when you are trying to figure out self-care, licensed mental health professionals can help you find strategies for doing that. Strategies that work with you and your budget and your time. But again, what's one thing you can do to go up one number on that scale? And you can check in with yourself throughout the day. Where, what number are you at on that scale? So again, one being the pits, 10 being great. What can you do to go up one number on that scale? And also I recommend too, creating a bullseye. In the center of the bullseye, write down the people that you can call 24 hours. Anytime you could pick up the phone and call them and they would not mind at all. The next ring of the bullseye are people that you could maybe call during the day, but maybe you're not entirely comfortable calling them at night. So those are people that you might be more acquaintances with or people that are friends, but not best friends. And then the outer ring of that bullseye are the people that you just run into during the day. It could be the somebody at the bakery. It could be somebody that you run into at your place of worship sometimes. Look at how many people you actually have as a way to reach out for support. Because sometimes when you're in a caretaking role and you've been neglecting your self-care, it can feel like you're the only one that's available for you. So it's really important, again, to just write down who is available for you. It's a lot more than we usually think. And again, take a picture of that bullseye, put it on your phone and favorite it. And again, when you're feeling isolated, look at that, that list. And maybe somebody on that list is somebody you could just contact. And I know sometimes some of us with ADHD don't like doing phone calls. So maybe you need some time to pop over for a visit or just text them. But we really need to keep in mind that we are part of a connected community. And actually, Chad's part of that community too, that there are resources available. You are not alone. And it's important to note that isolation is one of the side effects of lack of self-care and having depression, anxiety. And again, make sure that your ADHD is being treated appropriately and you're on an optimum medication. And also make sure that any depression, anxiety issues are addressed. So it sounds like social relationships are a very important thing that you shouldn't ignore when you're going through this. And it sounds like mental health treatment is an important part of this as well. Do you have any other resources or ways that people can get assistance that they need in order to feel supported? I think support groups can be very helpful. I know Chad has support groups for parents and for individuals. So I would look that up. Also, there are other ADHD organizations are available. Meetup is an app website that you can join different groups that have common interests. Because I find if you have social anxiety with ADHD, which is very common to have both, if you are trying to meet new people, having something in common with someone makes it can make a huge difference as to what your comfort level is. And if we wait until we're motivated to do something, because ADHD is a disorder of motivation, not so much attention, we can wait until we're motivated and that doesn't happen. Sometimes we need to just do stuff without feeling motivated. 
And that could be that you make an appointment with a friend and you say, hey, you know what? I'm going to go for a walk. Let's meet at 8 a.m. and we're going to go for a walk around the block. If you make an agreement with somebody to do something, we've made what's called a social contract with someone, which means we're more likely to stick with something if we've agreed to do something with another person. Because we are now kind of, we feel that sense of social obligation. So it really helps if you team up to do things with someone. It really helps to have someone that you can just text and go, man, today's a rough day. And that person doesn't necessarily even need to say anything back, but I hear you. Just being validated and heard makes a huge difference. And again, if you have social anxiety, texting is a great way to communicate with people if you really don't like using the phone. And again, meeting other people can be finding a group that you have common interests in. And there's also groups for caregivers as well. So you can find those in your community. So there are a lot of different ways to meet people, connect with people. And also you want to pay attention to who are the five closest people to you and how do they make you feel? Do those people lift you up? Do you feel energized by being around them or do you feel drained? And what can you do about that? If it's a friendship, is that something you can address with your friend? Or maybe you decide that that friendship has run its course and that's not a healthy person for you to be around. So sometimes it's really looking at who you surround yourself with, because especially with ADHD, people's attitudes can be contagious to us. And one of the things I teach clients is to visualize starting, you've got this glowing light in your hand. Start at the bottom of your feet and draw a spiral around you from your feet to your head or your head to your feet, doesn't matter which way. But picture yourself again, just drawing a spiral around your entire body from head to foot. That protective layer lets you absorb what you want to absorb and bounces off what you don't want. So visualize yourself putting that shield on every morning. It may sound a little kooky to you as I'm describing it, but it really helps. So that shield takes in what you want to take in and bounces off what you don't want. And since with ADHD, we're a very visual-oriented person or people, it's a really helpful technique to remind yourself that I have mastery over my environment. That Sometimes when you're in a caretaking role, it can feel like things are happening to you. And to some extent, that's true. But also, we do have choices that we can make. And one of those can be what we allow into our lives and what we don't. And again, doing that shield exercise and practicing every morning so it becomes a habit can really change how people just interact with their environment and how we feel about ourselves. That's great advice. Do you have anything else that you would like to add before we wrap up today? I think it's very common to feel fatigue and burnout when you're a caretaker. There are resources available and asking for help is a strength, not a weakness. Where can uh, people who are listening today find more information about you and get in contact with you? At stephaniesarkis.com. That's S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E. S-A-R-K-I-S.com. That has links to my blog articles. I write for Psychology Today and also Forbes Online. There are links to the books that I write, again, about ADHD and also gaslighting and toxic relationships. You can find that all at stephaniesarkis.com. Well, thank you very much for your time today. I appreciate all that you have shared with us. We've learned a lot from listening to you and we appreciate your time. This podcast was sponsored by Takeda. Better health, brighter future. Thank you for listening to another episode of Chad's ADHD 365 podcast.